Hello and welcome to the Paranormal or What podcast with me, your host, Michaela Ford. How's your week been? Hard? Tiring? Well then, come in, draw up a chair, put your feet up and pour yourself a drink. Let me tell you what's been happening in the world of the paranormal this week. Well, have I got a treat for you. This week, I've been interviewing Deborah Hatswell from the BBR, talking about every single sort of paranormal phenomena you can think of. And gosh, Deborah has got more than her fair share of hair-raising stories and real-life encounters to talk about. So, without further ado, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Paranormal or What podcast and I've got a real treat for you today. Um, interviewing with me today is Deborah Hatswell from the BBR. Good afternoon Deborah, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Michaela. It was lovely to come on. It's an honour. Oh, that's all right. Well, I feel the same about you. So we're off to a good start then. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm afraid that my first question is, is the question that everybody asks. And I'm sorry to make you repeat it it's all okay. over again. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, so first of all, I believe you grew up near Manchester or in Manchester. Was it in Manchester? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Salford. Salford. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I was 15, uh, 1982, it would have been. Um, kind of, you know, the year that you do, you used to do your mock exams. You do your real, I don't even know if they do that anymore, but back then in the old days, yeah. you did your real exams. We always sat a mock exam the year before, and that's what it was, really. Um, and I was not great at going to school when I didn't want to go in. And our school was, it was very Harry Potter-esque, I'll be honest, it was an old Edwardian mansion. Um, it's not there anymore, it's been knocked down. But So that was school, but it was that completely tree-covered that you could actually sneak out and hide in the park over the road, and that's basically what we were doing. And I met my friend, um, and she said, are you going in? I said, no, I don't fancy it. So there was an, there's an old Edwardian house in the park. Um, and it's been there's been something there since the 15th century, but this house was built in the the 18th century back then, mm-hmm. and you could it was so left to rack and ruin that you could actually sneak in. There was an area that we call the Ivy Den, um, and you could kind of see out, but you couldn't see in because we were in like rhododendrons and laburnum, and we were just doing ordinary 15 year old girl stuff, talking about boys probably. Uh, what we were doing that night, what we were editing. We were having a quick cigarette, which I suppose that then was about as far as I'd rebelled, really. <laughs> um, and it was an ordinary day. It wasn't, there was nothing different about the day. It was nice, similar weather today, really. Um, and we were just giggling and, and playing, and we were laid down. Um, so, like, talking to each other like this, lay down on the grass. Yeah. And I, I kind of caught a movement. Um, and honestly, Michaela, I thought it was going to be a teacher, you know, like, right, we've got you kind of thing. So I was a little bit startled, but I wasn't frightened. But that happened in a split second. I kind of looked 
and my brain thought oh it'll be a teacher and this thing went and it just went out like this and I could just see it from my chest yeah up all of its head I didn't see body or arms or legs or anything like that um and it was horrifying it was absolutely horrifying and completely impossible and and should not have happened but it did um something I'm still ashamed about to this day when I saw him I pushed my friend to the ground I pushed her as hard as I could and I did it without thinking it was a primal thing I was up on my feet and I was running and I looked back honestly to see if he was coming after me I've got to be as honest as I can and she was up and running in the opposite direction and he'd completely gone he just leant back and he melded back into the greenery um no real conscious thought other than run, run, run. I thought he was going to, like, reach out and grab us kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I should explain what you look like, really, shouldn't I? Um, kind of really impossible to describe for me, but back in, back in when I was 15, I'd never heard of Bigfoot, never heard of Sasquatch, um, probably never heard of early hominids or modern man had done anything yeah. other, you know, nothing like that. He looked like... A man and an ape that had kind of been pushed together somehow. So he was very human, but also not human at all. Kind of Neanderthal, but not right. Heidelbergensis, that's not right. Even Heidelgaster, not right. Because years after I studied everything I could think of to try and find out what he was. Yeah. Very prominent jaw, very prominent jaw. And I remember distinctly, he's the muscles on his jaw. Um, yeah. He had normal teeth, not no canines or anything like that. Similar teeth to ours, but obviously much bigger. And he wasn't bearing them. He was just kind of slack-jawed. So yeah. I've got this one image of his face. I can describe his teeth, thin lips, like a human. Like a boxer's nose, almost flat, as, as if he'd been in the wars a bit. Yeah. He had a very prominent brow. He didn't have any hair on his face, just a little bit of bum fluff on his chin. Don't remember ears or anything like that. His hair was that long. Yeah. And then, obviously, you, 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 you look into those eyes for a split second and you're running. So that's all I've got of him. I'd give anything to be able to go back to that moment <laughs> and get every single piece. Yeah. Get, well, not really change it because it shaped my life in a really good way. I'd, I'd, I hope I could shape the way I reacted to it because he didn't yeah. do anything to scare me. But when something like a gorilla leans out of a bush in the middle of a town, you're absolutely terrified. I interviewed a lady about 30 years later and she was in a similar situation in Yorkshire. She was in Bartry yeah. in Yorkshire. She was wagging school. She was with a friend. And she said there was this thing lay down in the grass, looked half human, half monkey was using the leaves to hide its face. And it didn't do anything to her. And her friend ran off absolutely terrified. But she was more curious. And she went to walk over to it and it shook its head as if to say no. Oh, really? You know. Yeah. But, I mean, I wish I'd have known that at 15. I didn't know that until I was in my 40s. Um, I wouldn't think it's a portal. Do you think? Well, I was, I was just yeah, thinking, yeah, was it not in the countryside, was it? It was urban. Yeah, very urban, urban yeah. It's a strange situation with the park, and I'll um, I'll probably get into it later on, but I'm, sh- I'm sure most of the listeners have heard of John Dee. He was a famous alchemist in the 16th century, and he worked with 
Elizabeth I, and he used to scribe, and he would use obsidian to do that scribing. Yeah. And there is um, talk, cannot be proved, that he actually did some scrying in the mansion that was on Beulil before oh, it was wow. built in the 18th century. Him and Edward Kelly were said to have summoned a great demon, a tall, hairy demon at that. Um, and that could just be complete coincidence. But I've also noticed that a number of places where we have John Dee, um, Holcomb Close being another one in the northwest of England, we have numerous cryptid reports. Always tall, eight or nine feet tall, hair-covered men that look like Neanderthals. Is there a connection? I don't know. But outside of that hall, there was four huge stones, and we're in the process of trying to find them. One of them was obsidian, complete obsidian. One was limestone, one was quartz, and one would what we probably just call a boulder, just a huge boulder, so I don't know what it was made of. Yeah. Could that have any possible link to Edward Kelly and his obsidian scrying? I, I really don't know. We went back, actually just last week, I went back with a team of investigators um, and I didn't tell them where I was when it happened, did not been there with me before. And I knew there's an area in the park where it's almost like walking into cobwebs. Yeah. And it was very, very heavy. You can actually walk in it and walk out of it. Didn't realise till the other day that it's actually bang on the ley line. The ley line literally runs right through the house. So I thought, I'll let them have a wander and see if they pick anything up. And as they walked in, they were all, oh, I feel really sick. Oh, this is awful. This is awful. One girl just suddenly started to cry. She was weeping and weeping and she couldn't stop. Gosh. I was coughing. I had a cough that I couldn't get rid of. Um, really short visit that day. Yeah, <laughs> um, they yeah, they suggested going back at night. And I said, I'm up for it as long as I go with it, quite a few people. Because I'm still struggling with it, I'll be honest. Um, yeah, because I was going to ask you if you, mm. I know that you've done a lot of research, but I wondered if you had physically gone back. And um, mm. my other question also was, did you get the feeling that he was as surprised as you? Yes, yes, I did. That's as I said to him, I'd love to go back. Now he looks as confused as I did. Yeah. But then um I, all I saw was a monster that was coming to get me, you know. Yeah. But looking back on it, I don't know if we just he just stumbled into us. And like you said, if there's a portal there, if there's an opening there, even a tear in the fabric, it could have been a time slip. It could have been a momentary moment in time where we two worlds have kind of connected like that. Um, I did go back. I didn't go back until I was 35 years later, probably no. 2015. Um, wouldn't go on holiday anywhere with Woodlands. I, I moved my parents. Um, I was only 15, so my parents moved more into the countryside at Worsley. And I went in a high rise because there was no way was I lived. I thought he was behind every tree. I thought he'd come to the house and get me. Um, I was just traumatised. Yeah, completely traumatised. But still, there must have been something in there because I remember within a week, I'd headed to the library. There's a huge library at Manchester and I'd headed there and I thought, you know, you're a 15-year-old girl, aren't you? So I'm thinking, oh, there'll be something in the library that'll explain it away. There was no internet yeah. back then. So I went in and I said to him, Could you, do you have any books on modern man? early man that would be living in modern day time and yeah. she said oh yeah just wait a minute I'll go and get it for you and I thought oh fantastic 
she's going to say it was this and it was just don't worry about it and go on your land. She came out and she handed me Stig of the Dump. Oh dear. Which, for anybody who doesn't know, is a children's book about a young boy who met um, a caveman in a, in a quarry. So I was absolutely fuming, as we say in the north. <laughs> fuming. But I didn't know what else to do. I just didn't know who I could ask. I, obviously, my parents knew, because I ran in the house like a screaming dervish. My mother just said, you know what northern mums are like, get up them stairs and get uniform off before your dad sees you, they'll go mad. <laughs> my dad believed me and my dad always believed me and he said you know your own children Debbie so I knew when you were lying you know and I could yeah. tell that you were literally terrified and the worst thing was I had to go back to that school the next day I had to do another six months there till we left yeah. um and I bet you ran in fast every day <laughs> I, I went the, the longest way around that I could go um I wouldn't go out at night anymore. And I lived in a really small town. So back then in the 80s, this rumour went round that, you know, I was obviously pregnant and not married. And that's why I wasn't coming out. And yeah. I was just terrified. As soon yeah. as school finished, I went in. My parents were travellers. So every single weekend or every week that we had off school, we'd be in the van and we'd go. And I spent all my life in the countryside. I probably fished every river in England with my dad. But at 15, that changed. I would just stay at home with my grandma. I wouldn't go with them. So they'd say, like, well, oh, we're going to Loch Ness for the weekend. Do you want to come? Nope. And I'd pack my bag and I'd go to my grandma's. And I'd stay there till they came home. And I didn't realise I was doing that with my own children as well. Really? Until um, I was probably 32, 33. And I was working. I was a single mum. I was doing okay. Um, I'd still not been in the woodland anywhere and I refused to do that, but I kind of compartmentalised it. Thought I was mentally ill. Thought I must have been mentally ill and I've had some kind of trauma. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, she would have had to have had the trauma as well, wouldn't she, because it was yeah. two of us. But no, a friend at work said to me, um, I've got a, um, my mum and dad own um, a lodge and centre parks. And I wondered if you wanted to come with the kids next week when we're off work. And I said, no. And I saw the look on her face and she looked at me like the most ungrateful woman in the world. And I couldn't explain why I said no. I just was, no, no, I'm sorry, no. And she must, even to this day, think I'm incredibly rude. And, and, and But all I saw was centre parks. I'm going to be in this little lodge in the middle, middle of the trees, vast forest. And he's been waiting all these years to get me. It, which is in my head um and I was just oh I was so upset I went home and I thought she must think I'm awful and I started I talked to my daughter my daughter's about 18 and she said to me mum do you not remember when we were little and we stayed with granted in the caravan in the seaside and I said no and she said well I was only little and you heard a noise and you picked me up under your arm and you ran off with me she went and it absolutely terrified me because when your mum's scared then you yeah. yeah and I've always had night terrors I've had them from being a little kid I used to see things in the bedroom when I was little um and I just I don't even remember doing that with her I don't remember I must be so turned on to that fight or flight yeah that even a, a noise when I'm sleeping in a strange place even though I'm not in the woodlands is enough for me to take my daughter out of bed without realizing and run with her which is I don't actually remember doing that Oh. Um, and I realised then, my, my husband said to me then, right, Jeff, you've got to do one or two things. You've either got to put it to bed and never speak about it again and just bury it because you can't carry on like this. 
oh, do what you do with everything and just run a sit deb in and like see what you can find. And I thought I'd been doing that anyway on from being 15 silently on the CB yeah. radio. I used to write into uh, magazines and um, newspapers under the name Deborah Wildman because I wasn't prepared to give my name. <laughs> Just asking if anybody had seen anything strange. Um, truck drivers, get them on the CB because they're out at, you know, odd. and I did yeah. start. I had, by the time I got to my 30s, I had about 11 other reports from other people in the UK that had seen something that I would have classed as similar to mine. So it ate like covered in hair upright on two legs um yeah. and that was all I was looking for then I, I thought it, maybe it was an escaped ape or something like that um and I, so I just at 30 yard I just ran at it that's what I did I started really got serious still wouldn't give people my real name but got real serious and started learning everything that I could on um early hominids in the UK yeah. and I came across a photograph but it's a it's a police artist um rendition of um, a creature that was seen in Sykesville in America in the early 80s. And this police officer had sat down with a number of the witnesses and they'd plotted his, the face of the creature that they'd seen. So yeah. I'm just on Google looking for anything that looks like, I put, I probably put in a search word like half man, half hate or something like that. Yeah. And I'm standing along and I, I, oh, it was awful. It was like seeing him Again, I threw the laptop on the floor. I was crying. I was sick. And it it must have been maybe PTSD. Maybe that's the wrong word. I don't know. But I was right back there. I was right back there at that minute when I saw it. I was so upset and I was so angry. And um, But I thought, that's it. That's what, it, that's what that's I saw. Was. So I need to know who's this person who's put it up. And it was a... Uh, a cryptozoologist called um, Lon Strickler, Fences and Monsters, lots of people know about it. And he explained to me that he'd used the image from um, an early artist called Zorian Zedneck, I think, or Bedneck, I always get it wrong. And he'd drawn his rendition of Early Man. And when I looked at that, they could have been cousins. They could have been in the same family. Only yeah. what I saw was a bit wider. And I thought, other people have seen it. Probably the first time I'd heard... Bigfoot, Sasquatch, you know, Yeti, all of that. I remember the after sea class, but they were so far away and, and nothing like a northern town, you know. And I just thought, could it be? Could it be that that I've seen? So I just studied everything I could for the next 20 years. If it was about Bigfoot or Sasquatch, I studied it. I wrote to people that were quite high up. I emailed them. I got on Skype and I talked to them. And I just soaked up everything that I could and that's one of the reasons today why I think I'm okay with it all yeah um because I've 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 come through the other side of it I've, I've come through that fear and I've come out the other side but I know that there are other Debbies out there and there are other Ians and Georges and Catherines that have had yeah. their experience and are stuck at home asking themselves are they you know are they crackers and it's not just people who've seen Bigfoot with UFO abductees yeah. missing time events Ordinary people have impossible events that happen to them. There's nowhere that you can go to report them. There's nowhere that you can sit down with somebody who will say, I understand completely what you mean. Yeah. This is how it was for me. And that's what I strive to do, Michaela, is to, to get as many people together in one place, regardless of what they've witnessed or regardless of what they've experienced, 
just because it's so bloody validating yeah. when somebody yeah. says, I know, and I watch them finish each other's sentences. Yeah. So now me and my hubby go around once a month, we stop at a different town in the UK and we just say on YouTube, just come out, just come out and meet us. We'll have a cup of tea. There'll be other people there. And it's yeah. took off massively. Um, and people come out simply because they're interested in paranormal subjects, yeah. UFO, you know, because you, when you start talking to witnesses, you realise that they're all going through the same thing, regardless of what they've seen. A lot of people have an interaction with like owls, whether it be yeah. a UFO event, a paranormal event, a Bigfoot event, owls will come into play somewhere. Lots of people will see things around their home and at some points within the home. And there are, as you know, there are energies out there that will prey on anyone that's weak. Yes, and they will definitely. feed from that person. So yeah. I am of the opinion now that maybe we're dealing with something that can show in a way that will scare you the most. Maybe that's true, yeah. It could very well be. Um, it's but it very is like, well, yeah. it's a trauma. It is like a trauma. And I think you're right that people react in one of two ways. They either completely block it off and don't want to speak about mm. it ever again, or they have this inner need or drive to find yeah. out what it was to make sense of it in their own head yeah. um and it's brilliant that you're connecting with with like-minded people i mean this is why i got into this because mm. i had an experience with something completely different um it was a group experience me and loads of school kids in a playground saw this thing and ever since then i, I thought i need to know about these things i need to know what's going on out there um and then it was the need to meet other people that yeah. had had experiences or believed in similar things to me so that I knew I wasn't the only person out there. Um, and that's the only reason I started the podcast, to meet like-minded people. And it's just fantastic meeting people. It, it really is. And it, for me, I get a lot of people say, to me, I don't make any money doing what I do. I do everything voluntary. And people say to me, you know, you must be, like coining it and I say no I live on the overdraft every month there's no you know nobody gives you a check or anything like that so why do you do it then because I watch people come back to life again I've had emails from people who've said my marriage was over I was so trapped in this this cycle affair that my marriage was almost over my children were walking away from me it's what I try and do is I try and say well you've had that event that event's gone and you have survived that and carried on you've gone to school you've seen to your children you've gone to work so you're far stronger than you realize and could it be possible like me you have fear in the fear so you're not thinking if I go outside it, for me it was you want to come to the woods it wasn't the woods I was afraid of I was frightened that I'd get frightened when I was in the woods yeah. does that make yeah. sense like projecting so the fear say, before it happens yeah, well, I was, as my dad would say, I was letting my Monday ruin my Sunday. That's what my dad used to say. <laughs> and I realised that that was the same for lots of people. So when we started doing the meets, we did them in like quite open places. So, you know, just in case. But then I, people would say, as I say in the beginning, it was just Bigfoot. But then people would come out and they'd say to me, I know you only do Bigfoot reports, but could I talk to you about this paranormal event? And I'd say, oh, yeah, I've had a because I don't talk about it, doesn't mean it's not happened to me. I've yeah. had numerous paranormal events, never put the two things together, ever. 
thought they were completely separate. Uh, my husband had a UFO experience, so I've seen him struggle with that and the missing time, um, really, really struggle with that. And I interviewed his friends, and they also, all of them, have struggled with it. They're in the late 50s, 40s now, and they were 20 at the time. Yeah. But it's had such an impact on them that I witness, I, I interview witnesses week in, week out with Kayla, and it took me... 15 years to get my husband to share his experience with me wow. because he thought if he spoke about it it'd start again yeah you know so I I, I can't I can't we worked out earlier way early on in the early years that it's like ancient sites like Stonehenge or places where they megaliths or standing stones anywhere with high layer energy seems to be areas where we had all kinds of phenomena so bigfoot reports yeah. ufo reports paranormal reports all of the above and i thought i wonder if it's the the, the stones themselves that are attracting this energy or putting this energy out somewhere and we realized that many of them were on ancient barrels so a lot of the jogman reports werewolf reports are on ancient barrels or ancient burial sites modern cemeteries things like that yeah. so i said to him is it burial there's a Barrow, just there, man. Went two miles down the road. Why don't we go there? And he, I just seen his face. He went white, and he was. He said, "No, no, that's where I saw that light." And I said, "What do you mean?" And he was like, "That's I was out, and it, I was out with three friends, and we saw this light. And and when I got home, and, and an hour and a half, I'm not with it. He wouldn't. He would not tell me anymore. And I, I wanted to know. I really, you know what I didn't want to. Yeah, it would have driven me mad. I think. Yeah, so one day when I thought, when he, you know, one day when he's really relaxed, I'll just ask him. So we were driving, I think we were driving to Clitheroe, we've been to Pendle Hill. I think we like staying up there, camp a lot. And we're driving home and he's in a really good mood. And I said to him, what happened that night when you're on the barrow? And he just spilled, it all come out. And he said, uh, he was with three friends. It was about 1 a.m. in the morning. They There's no local shops back then in the 90s. There's nothing open yeah. past nine o'clock. So if you wanted to get cigarettes or anything like that, you'd have to walk to the motorway and use a service station. And that's what they were doing. They and he said there was three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were just, I'm from yeah, That's the one. So, yeah. that's what they're, <laughs> so they're walking through like farm fields and the stuff like that. Oh, out the back's all green bell. So he said, um, they just, they're walking along and the next thing, they wake up on top of the barrow, head to head in a cross shape with a light above them. And they all said at the same time, what the fuck's that? Um, and he said, we're just kind of drunk and stumbling and don't know what's going on. But they've got the things in their hand as if they'd been to the garage. Wow. Mm. And when he got back home, he said he didn't remember walking home. But when he got back home, it was an hour and a half of time had completely gone. It was an hour and a half later. Mm. And I managed to interview them all, like I say, um, and they all gave the same story. They just all differed on where the memory stopped so they each lost memory at a certain different part as they walked towards that barrel so is it the barrel itself i'm not sure so i get on my map and i think right what's special about this barrel it's in a line of barrel. oh it's between jodrell bank and winter hill where we have a massive number of ufo reports yeah could it by any chance be um thing? so i'm thinking about it. so we start then I start asking neighbours, oh, yeah, well, there was a light came down in the field in the 1980s and everybody came out and watched it. And I can never remember if he said it was three lights that merged into one yeah. or it was one light that split into three. Into three. And yeah. it shot off, this shot off to Winter Hill. I always get that bit wrong. 
Um, and I said to him, will you sit down with me and let you, me interview you? And he went, yeah, it's not a problem. And you know, serendipity. He gets in the car, goes to Aldeth, gets the shopping, and he comes walking out of Aldeth. And there's a door of all the people I see today. I said to him, Alan, you remember when I first moved around here and you told me that there was a number of people that saw strange lights? And he went, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm Gibson Lane. He said, yeah, they come from where the farm was. And I said, tell me about it. And he went, why have you forgot? And it was like, you didn't go into detail. You just, he said, you was with me. I said, I can't have been. I didn't even live here then. I lived in Salford. You was with me, Debbie. So I said to him, if I was with you, Al, and he got quite, oh my goodness, a bit aggy because he, I don't know, he, he said, you were with me. And I said, well, where did we go beforehand? And he went, I don't know. I said, well, where did we go afterwards? I don't know. I said, well, I'm telling you, Alan, it wasn't me that was with you. And he said, it was, it was you and another girl. I didn't live here, I lived eight mile away in another town, single mum, I wouldn't have been out at one o'clock in the morning walking down farm lane and all that. But yeah, so that's led me to the UFO people. So you start taking those reports and you're yeah. thinking, I'm interviewing people and my phone starts going mad, Michael, and I'm thinking, oh, it's kicking off in one of the groups or something, completely ignored it. When I come off, it's a number of people on this date saying, there's lights above the house, there's lights above the house. And they actually phone the police and phone the Manchester Evening News. And the Manchester Evening News did that typical little green men scene in oh, Little yeah. Hull. Yeah, and it just obviously, it just became a laughing stock there. So I've never been able to pin anything more down. But I did find other witnesses. One who was travelling on the East Lancashire Road, and she was a yeah. girl coming back from her mum. She saw a craft and she said it followed us from Hinley and Wigan right through to Salford. On, and they said my mum saw it and my dad saw it, but did, it was as if the other car drivers weren't seeing it. It was meant for them. And that's got me on the road of, are these experiences accidental? Or are, are they, they meant, meant for the are they engineered person? Some... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what's your take on that? What would you say? Do you know what? Until I heard you say that in another interview, it had not occurred to me that that might be the case. I just presumed that if somebody saw something, then everybody would see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think probably that stems from my own experience of when me and 20 other kids saw the same thing. I just presume that everybody sees it but I I do find that really fascinating actually so you're mm. in Todmorden now aren't you no I'm, I'm still I, I do a lot of work in Todmorden I'm oh, still I see. In, right okay yeah I'm close to Bolton um I like you presume that if you have a UFO experience in the UK it's really easy to report it yeah. apparently it's not um it's got to be a particular type of craft it's got to fit this parameter, a bit like the Bigfoot world. And I thought, oh, that's not on. That really is not on because nobody's, for the four, over 4,000 people that I've interviewed, for all that their reports are similar and similar events happen, each one is individual and completely unique to that person. So I thought, why are they not taking the reports? This is just, they're just going to go into obscurity. Yeah. So this chat phones me and he says, um, Oh, he emailed me, sorry, and he said, Debbie, I'm up at Gadding's Dam, um, and I know you're doing research in the area of, on UFOs, and there's a calf in the middle of the field, and it's clearly a young bullock. It shouldn't be away from its mum, and it looks like it's been dropped from above. So he, I said, can you get some photos for me? And he said, yeah, of course. So he took lots of photos, and he sent them me through, and it was the typical injuries that you see on mutilation. So 
part of the jaw had yeah. been almost laser like took away. Um, I think I've got to remember, I think one of the ears had gone. There was no signs for me of natural predation. So no big cats, no dogs, domestic dogs or anything like completely clean seed. But there should be blood. If we're removing parts of yeah. skin, there should be blood kind of thing. No ear tag in it, which is unusual. It should be ear tagged. Um, so I thought I'll just get in touch with every people in the UFO community who are high up, hand it off to them because I don't know what I'm doing. And that's everything sorted. You would not believe how many people I had to phone. And they're all really grateful for the story, but nobody wants to go and visit the carcass or speak to the witness himself. So I asked Nick McLaren, who did, I know. Me, I me, thought me, people would be out there in droves in their cars, like they? racing to get there. I'm like you, in my head, I'm thinking, we need to test the ground. We need to get some DNA samples off this thing. We need to get some really good video of it. And we need to watch it over a number of weeks to see if anything changes. We also need to try and find the farmer to see if the farmer will say, oh, this is quite natural, or this is what happened. You're looking at it the wrong way. We did. We think we found the farmer, and he was experiencing animal mutilations up to 2008 when he had a visit uh, from a government body, and he now longer will speak to anybody about it. Yeah. I've got witnesses in Todmorden who are seeing craft above. It's Lubbock's Lane, so they're seeing from Todmorden side. They're seeing it above Lubbock's Lane. From Winter Hill side, they're also seeing it above. Lubbard. So it's like these witnesses are seeing the same thing. Um, chap came forward, he said, Debbie, I was on, I was walking down Stainsville Road, not too far from where you, the calf was found. Um, and the next thing I remember, I woke up on the dam about an hour and a half later, and I've got something like a ball bearing behind my ear. So you same as me and McCurdy, you're thinking, I need to sit down with this chap, I need to speak to him. So I'm yeah. trying to find as many experts as I can. Nobody's really bothered. So Lee Nicholson run with it and Mick McLaren run with it for me. And the stories are still coming in. Um, abductees and missing time events around Todder. Some paranormal reports, of course. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder if it's that more itself, if it's, it's something to do with that more. This, there is speculation that there is a base of some kind below Todmorden. Now, how you would substantiate that, I don't know. Yeah. But it, there, there are a high number of strange experiences that are going on up there. A mm. high number. Yeah, mm. it's um, it is. It's. I've always found it really weird that area has got quite a, a special feeling to it. E even when I'm just driving up there, you know, from Halifax to Manchester, it's a bit yeah. kind of. Oh, I don't think I like Ooh. it. Yeah, <laughs> we cross that more. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> lots of bad things have happened there, I suppose. Um, yeah. Um, uh, now, can, I ask you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Will you tell me what you saw when you were younger? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was about nine years old, and um, I was in a little village primary school outside of Halifax, between Halifax and Bradford. Mm -hmm. And... Um, just minding our own business, as you do. And we used to have this really, you know, like there are kind of school urban legends like Bloody yes. Mary and all that sort of stuff. Yes. So yeah. we had a particular one at our school, which is quite funny looking back now. Um, and we called um, these creatures zombies. 
And they were right. nothing like what you imagine a, <laughs> a zombie from a zombie film to be like, absolutely. But I think with it being the 1970s, the only frame of reference anybody had was weird yes. creature, let's call it a zombie. And yes. so um, you could look out from our school playground, there was our school playing field, and then lots of really long, thin fields going right up the big hill that was behind us, which I think mm. is called Soil Hill. And um, there were three abandoned um, kind of farming cottages in the middle of the um, hillside. And we yeah. used to go up there to play and we used to tell stories that it was haunted and somebody found a baby's skeleton and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that was in the days where, you know, even when you were seven or eight, you'd disappear off after your breakfast yes. on a weekend and, and come back covered in twigs at dinner yes, time. Yes, that was me. Um, and, um, and so we had this kind of the zombies all get you and we scare each other. Anyway, this one day we were, and I don't even remember whether it was me that saw it first or somebody else. But we were all playing, we all looked out over the field, somebody looked out and somebody shouted, zombies, I can see the zombies. Right. So, of course, everybody ran to the wall and went, oh, it's there, it's there, they're there, they're there. And what we saw were three figures, three hooded figures in the mm -hmm. field, not the school playing field, not the one after, but the one after that. Three hooded figures with staffs. Right. Um, and they were herding the cattle and the cattle right. were moving in a herd slowly. They weren't scared of whoever this was. They were right. slowly moving up the hill and we were all shrieking and shouting and going, they're going to eat the cows. They're going to eat <laughs> look, look, it's the zombies. And we got ourselves into a massive hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the dinner ladies, which I mean, I'm a, a primary school teacher now and they're called midday meal supervisors now. But in yeah, those the days, they were called dinner ladies. And uh, so the dinner lady came over um, and she's saying, what's going on? What's going on? But they're like, look, miss, it's the zombies. It's the zombies. And pointing to them. And she could not see them. She ah. couldn't see them. And I think that freaked her out more than anything, because we're all stood there, about 20 of us, screaming and pointing. And mm. she she's going, what, what's there? What's there? And... Um, the whole playground was in uproar by now. Um, and I was shouting at her, going, Miss, can I go over and look? Can I go? Because all I wanted to do was run through the playing field and lean over the next wall to get a better look. Because it, it was too far. And I wasn't scared yeah. at all. Um, so then what happened was um, somebody must have been told, and because we were all in such a tease, we all got ushered in the bell was rung everybody had to go in. <laughs> and um my classroom was um a temporary classroom around the back of the school chalets we used to call them um and we got kind of herded back into our chalet and i could still see them as i was walking down the path to the chalet i was craning my neck to see and then we had to go into our class and i was up against the window like this craning the neck to try and see them but the angle that we were at you couldn't see anymore um and that was it now the next bit is even more incredible so now fast forwards 15 16 years and um my friend's friend lived in um 
a big farm behind the school mm -hmm. and they used to have a shop it was called farm freeze and everybody used to go there it was like iceland but in the yeah. 80s kind of um and it was an independent concern and um i think he even had his own little zoo there at one point he was a real entrepreneur this man the the father of the the girl uh, and one day my friend said oh come on let's go and see alex who was his mm -hmm. daughter um and her dad had built like a little flat in the grounds and her yeah. little flat overlooked the fields um that Wait, the school overlooked so we went in there and we were having a cup of tea and it was all very nice. And I was looking through a bookshelf because I immediately go to people's bookshelves. So <laughs> I want to know what they what do they read because it tells you a lot about people, doesn't it? Well, they got in the bookshelf. You're boring, investigator, Michaela. Yeah. Oh, honestly. Um, so I'm nosing through. I, I remember they had um, Irving Welsh Marabou Stalk Nightmares. And mm. I said, oh, I love this. I really look, I'm really into the paranormal. I love it. It's so interesting. Um, and Alex said, oh, do you like ghosts? And I said, oh, yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. I said, in fact, out here, when I was nine years old, I saw these three hooded figures walking up the fields. I told her the story and deadpan, she turned to me and looked at me and went, oh, yeah, I see them all the time. And you could have knocked me down with a feather. Absolutely knocked me down with a feather. And apparently she had quite a lot of ability to see these things but mm -hmm. I'm sure that you know coming from a working class northern town you didn't go in for airy fairy things like no. ghosts and all that Definitely. sort of stuff no so it's not something mm -hmm. that people talked about so she said that and it absolutely blew me away so it wasn't then until um relatively recently that I thought I'm going to try and find out what these things are and what I yeah. sort of found out is that there's something called the genii cuculati and they are la land spirits mm -hmm. and they are kind of um almost like from pagan times um they were apparently sort of spirits that looked after the land and yes, they yes. also um are a symbol of fertility and protecting um children and all kind of rolled into one so um, I did find a bur burial site, actually, just out of the was, village. I was just going to yeah. say, we need to have a look at ley lines and what was in that area back. Yeah. You probably find that there's been a priory on the site. And I'm not saying that what you saw was priory, but what happened was when we were no longer allowed to have our own religion, we, well, we built Stonehenge and we did all of that. What they did was the Romans and, the, and everybody that came in afterwards always built on our sacred places. Yeah. So you'd find that there's a, they stuck a bloody priory on it or, you know, a Catholic church on it. And when you look back in the days and you go back, they were probably very early dreads and we would have been worshipping, gifting, meeting up with our families. That I think that's kind of what we did as early Brits, you know. And as a child, I think you can pick up on that much more than an adult and I think that's probably why you and all the children could see it yeah and yet the teacher was probably very black and white yeah because she's a teacher wouldn't see it I think we use a different part of our brain I think I call it peripheral brain yeah but I think we have this everyday thing and then when we're younger as I said I always had experiences as a child in my bedroom and um I I'd see things come out of the wall and 
they were just terrifying. They were absolutely terrifying. And I spoke to other witnesses the same. And I said, could your parents see you? Because mine couldn't. My, my parents thought they just had a really naughty kid on their hands. And they say, no, no, my parents couldn't. I've had um, witnesses. One jumps to mind in Stone. He's in the car with his mum. Mum's driving. He's in the back seat. He said, I can see this figure standing in the middle of the road. It looks like a completely, it's daytime, about two o'clock, completely black minotaur. And it's there for us. He said, and my mother could not see that. Wow. He said, I watched it. It stood exactly at the car as we passed it. I turned around and watched it out the back window. And I'm screaming to mum, 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 can you see that? And no, mum didn't see it. Yeah. Talking about strange coincidences like you. He said when he was 14, he was out with his mate. And it's farms of fieldstone. And, you know, they go to meet these girls because they're teenage lads. And they see it again. And he said his friend saw it with him. They were both hysterical. They ran off. But within probably 10 or 15 minutes, his friend had rationalised it as a man on a bike. It was just a man on a bike. It was nothing more. Go 25 years into the future, he meets his lass. And he said, we're getting on really well. And we live together now. But when we were first courting, and I said, that question comes up. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen? <laughs> he said, the one that you dread. And he said, before I could tell her mine, she says, well, when I was 18, I was in the car and I was driving down Stone Lane and I had a boyfriend in the passenger seat and he was looking through the tape deck. And as I looked up, this black thing stepped out of the hedgerow, stood in the middle of the road, and it looked like a cross between a dog, a horse and a minotaur. It was stood up on two legs it was completely black and its nostrils were flaring wow. and he didn't see it. Gosh. So she saw it and yeah. he didn't. And then obviously Ant went, that's what I saw back when I was a kid. So they both seen this same thing, yeah. not knowing each other. They come together as adults and then they're like, oh my God, that's exactly what I saw. You say, could it be though that not... And I'm only, because um, all of this is just kind of... Yeah, it's all theory, Michaela. It's all we need theory, to yeah. These, yeah. We need to balance so these ideas. Um, maybe it's not that pe certain people are meant to see it. How about it's that certain people can use a certain part of their brain that other people can't? Because yeah, I see very good. things all the time out <laughs> of my peripheral vision. <laughs> and... <laughs> I've actually, it's happened so often that I put it down to me just being mad. And now I just mutter to myself and go, because yesterday I walked in my living room door and for literally a tenth of a second, there was a man dressed all in black right next to me as I walked in the door. And I've also seen um, a little kind of creature. There's like a little creature that I see all the time, but I couldn't tell you what it looks like because it's that fast. And mm -hmm. I one, one night when I was brushing my teeth, I started going to my eldest son's room and actually went in and searched his room while he was asleep, going, what's in my son's room? I'm going to get it. So, you know. But I, I never see anything full frontal, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. I, I'm exactly yeah. the same. It's exactly I'm, the same for me. Yeah, and it's exactly the same for lots of them. I will now say to my husband, oh, I've just seen something score. I don't know if it was alive or not. Because you just get so used to it yeah. that I think it's like anything, when you use it, you get better at it. 
Yeah. So you could become that good at it that you do it without even realising. And I think that's why children have far more paranormal experiences than adults. I think that yeah. we haven't taken that away from them. That that ability would have kept you alive when you were a caveman. It all of this peripheral vision, yeah. yeah. So your body, your mind, all of your senses are picking up on something. So I, I often work with a lot of people who are quite anxious yeah. or find that they get panic attack. And I say to them, you do know that's because you're empathic. You are, you're walking into a situation. Oh, your I'm body, absolutely sure I am, yeah. Yeah, your body is picking up on all of these signals that somebody who's not plugged in doesn't isn't affected by so it could be the energy of the room it could be the energy of the person you'll know yourself you can meet someone and instantly dislike them for no reason at all and you end up backing off from them like that because of their energy we, we all have that ability i think and we just once you start to trust it and it never lets you down it becomes second nature to you somehow. So yeah. I used to be an abject worrier. I used to borrow worry. So if I didn't have anything to worry about, I'd be thinking about next month's bills or, you know, <laughs> yeah. have I got enough for Christmas? My so husband does that. <laughs> yeah. mad. It, it's meant to be, it will happen. And I just kind of live with that now. That's how I am. But you'd be surprised how many women and men are out there like me and you who think there's something wrong with them. They, they, they need to see a doctor. They need medicated. We just don't fit in a 2021 world. We're not made yeah. for this. Zoned in. Brains with abilities work on a 360. And if you're tuned into Xbox or X Factor or any of the stuff that they do to distract you, you yeah. will lose more and more of that ability. So if you're not stepping out on nature, you're not tuning in naturally. Every now and again, you've got to take your shoes off and feel the grass on your feet, haven't you? You're going to walk on the beach. I've got to tell you one thing, though, because this really blew me away. So um, my husband doesn't believe in any of this. He's a very literal person. He thinks it's all a load of tosh, but he's happy Mm. that I'm doing it because it keeps me happy. So that's fair enough. Um, my My eldest son has always been of a similar opinion and I think it's because it kind of scares him a bit so he yeah. doesn't really want to know about it my youngest son is as mad on things as me and I think the way that he Thank processes you. information is that he gets obsessed with it so he's yeah, obsessed same. like at the moment he's obsessed with creating computer horror games mm-hmm. so if it scares him he deals with it by obsessing about it by taking anyway. it apart and yeah. looking at all the pieces and then putting it back together again exactly. yeah so now um, my eldest son, um, and this happened probably three months ago. Again, another time when you could have knocked me down with a feather. We're all sat in the living room watching, uh, I don't know, wherever it was. And he just turned around to me and he went, oh, mum, I just saw a shadow of man. And I went, what? <laughs> I mean, this is like Mr. Practical. <laughs> what? Yeah. And he didn't even seem scared. He said, yeah, it just walks out of the back of the sofa, through the back of the wall, through the sofa, past you and behind the back of my chair. Because I saw him turn round. And, and, then just I just said, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? 
yeah, I find it, but he's still not interested in anything like that. But it was so matter of fact, it was just so. He exact. might do, he might never have an interest, but he might do later on in life. And it's same yeah. for me, my eldest daughter, no interest whatsoever, no interest outside of the Cardassians. She's no interest whatsoever. <laughs> my youngest daughter took to it like a duck to water. She's just yeah. always been very empathic. They both struggle a little bit with anxiety. Jodie's kind of comes out as rage, <laughs> and Erica's will kind of come out as nerves. And I say, I say to them both, that's just because you're picking up on situations, don't worry about it. Um, Jodie's going to struggle like I did. She's going to have to walk a lot longer paths because I didn't want the responsibility of it, I'll be honest. And like you said, growing up in a northern town, anything that's out of the ordinary, you suddenly become the, the witch that lives in the woods. You know, your neighbours look at you like your crackers and stuff. So I'd had that from being, from being 15 anyway. So I'm living this life where I'm, I'm working and I'm seeing things when I'm working. I'm not telling people. But I've had interviews with people where I've walked. I've been literally <laughs> leaning out of my chair. And I'm thinking, it's me. It's me. I'm wrong. I don't fit. And, and it's my fault that I'm a little bit left of centre. So my hope for my daughters is that they work out a lot quicker than I did that we're all just a bit unique so I was in my late 30s before I just started accepting it yeah up until then I had run as fast <laughs> as far as I could if you'd have asked me five years ago if I'd ever seen a ghost I would have told you no no I have never seen a ghost I see things out the corner of my eye I see the bottom foot of people I see dark shadows moving. Oh, I saw a bottom foot on the M62. There you go. There it's you really go. weird. <laughs> but, so if you don't... What we're told is mediums, for me, you know, Gypsy Rose Lee, and it's all made up, and they read the team. So I get a bit dubious when people say, I'm a medium or I'm psychic. I just pick up on stuff sometimes. And I do it in places. It's more places that do it for me. Places that some places I feel like I've been to a million times when I've never been there. And other places I can't walk in there. It's like a physical barrier will stop me walking in there. Yeah. Um, never put it down as, as abilities, just always put it down to my weirdness. But no, I used to think we were the minority, Michaela, and we definitely are not. When you sit down and you speak to as many people as me. We're all very similar. It seems to run in families. So like you said, your sons as well. You probably, your mum or your gran was a bit... Probably my nana, yeah, because I think my mum's much more, it scares her, although she does claim to hear her dead dead dog upstairs. There so maybe go. she's not as, you know, close my to it as she seems. Yeah, my mum's exactly the same. My dad passed away about three years ago. She won't mind me telling you this, but it's quite funny. And my mum sees spirits but she wouldn't she wouldn't describe it like that she'd say oh I've seen my dad oh and, and she'll say oh my mum's never come to see me so it's like she's expecting this thing but on the other hand they, they were brought up in that generation when just just past the wall and they were yeah. brought up in this really regimented way I think our, our parents generations um my mum we had a memorial service for my dad had not been gone like we've been gone about uh, three months and we're inside and this white feather comes down from the ceiling it lands on her leg um and everybody kind of oh you know my mum never said a word um 
and then we at the end of the memorial service there's people reading things out and they were naming like they didn't know my dad they were all it was like for everybody that died that month so at the hospice they, they have I think gathering yeah. so everybody there was just certain words that were said where my mum would look at me because he mentioned his own supplier the first street they moved in but it was other people's tales but there was a synchronicity for it yeah. About two months after that, she's at home. She said, it's about two in the morning. I heard him get up out of bed, go down the stairs, go into the kitchen, make his cup of tea, get his fishing gear ready and go out of the door. I said, mum, how many signs do you need? <laughs> and she will still say to this day, oh, shit, I heard him shout my name. Um, what was the other one? She had on New Year's Eve, she was really angry with him. Because you go through that stage, don't you? You go through yeah. the stage of anger yeah. when you're bleeding. And she said, I had a good old shout at him. She said, and something banged on me walls all night long. But like, wow. I wish you'd send me a sign. Mom, how many more signs do you need? <laughs> my poor dad's probably up there, really fed Shouting back. <laughs> yeah. if, if some people have decided that they don't have the ability, then you can't tell them any different. Do you know what I mean? It's just really strange. I think we just grew up in an area where you don't speak about things like that. It's almost shameful. You know? It is. And, you know, the only time when it's ever sort of gone, which I think was completely on purpose, and I think I blocked things out, was when I had my boys, um, and I had, I suffered quite badly with postnatal depression and things, and I think it really scared me thinking about the paranormal. And for a yeah. good 10 years, I couldn't even think about it. And it's yeah, only been normal. since they've become teenagers that it's all started to sort of come back and I've become more open um, and more things happen the more open I've been. I mean, mm. I, I'd love to, um, I, I, just like you, I was always the sort of person, everybody I met, have you ever seen a ghost? Have you ever seen a yeah. story? Because I thought yeah. I was going to write a book about everyone's ghost story experiences, but there's been so many written, it's probably not worth my while now but I oh love... i wouldn't say that i wouldn't say that i would oh, say write it down yeah you think it wrote down stuff. it's just so mm. interesting um and i've had so many different things happen if i i, I actually started a log um, mm -hmm. yeah it's a good idea a couple yeah, of years ago of things that had happened and actually when you read it it's like some sort of yes. science fiction novel and, and you I, I would not blame anyone else for reading it and going no this, all these things can't happen to one person but nah, yeah that, I would, I'm so yeah. glad you said that I am so glad but I've never that. claimed to have seen a ghost but I feel like I've seen everything else but <laughs> almost I think we see it some people we're all because we're all different some people are really good at audible stuff and other people are really good at seeing stuff. And then there's people like me and you who are really good at getting into the nitty gritty and pulling it apart. So we all have our strengths kind of that we can work on. And we're, we're also, I think as children, we have the ability. And then at about seven or eight, it kind of shuts down. And then there's a period for a girl where she's about 13 or 14 where you come into your womanhood. And a lot of activity will ramp up for some people yeah. and then it becomes a protective stage when you have your children and you become the mother yeah so you i shut down lots of us shut down because you see into your children and then as your children grow in the age i don't like the term the hag but we do come into our maturity in our ability so we become the matriarch and we finally start to feel like we fit our own skin for the first time in our yeah. lives like i understand me now I understand what all that was about 
and I can help people with this. I can say, I was exactly the same. People are saying to me, I'd love to tell you my encounters, but I used to have a drink problem. And I say, I'm not surprised you had a drink problem. Yeah. If you were seeing what you were seeing and experiencing what you were experiencing, you're normal because I had a drink problem. I tried drinking it away. It doesn't work. You know, some of them will have, uh, have gone to prison. Other, It's because you've had this massive PTSD. Yeah. And you know yourself that soldiers are coming back from abroad and they are struggling in normal society. They can go to the doctor. They can go to a counsellor. We can't do that. Yeah. I can't go to my doctor and tell him that things are at the side of my bed at night waking me up. I've done that numerous times and they put me on pills for uh, night terrors. It doesn't yeah. stop it happening because it's always the same thing in the same place. It might be a residual play. I don't know, but it will change shape. So my strength lies in saying to people we'll just come and have a coffee come to mine and have a coffee and you talk about what's happened to you and I'll talk about what's happened to me and I guarantee by the end of the hour we'll be like actually I actually quite proud of what I am yeah I, I am this powerful woman this powerful man I don't have to answer to anybody else in this world apart from myself yeah. I don't have to explain yeah. myself to anyone I spent 38 years apologising for what I saw, saying I've had this really bad experience, I'm really sorry, but, you know, and now I think, no, them days are done for me. I'm not yeah. apologising to anybody anymore. Strange things happen around me and they happen around people that I know, my friends, my family, my relatives. There is not a person now who's listening to me and you that even if we said to them, have you had a paranormal experience or experienced anything strange? They might say, well, no, I haven't. But it's funny you should say that because my wife has, or my dad has, yeah, or my yeah. nine times out of ten, they will say, well, actually, when I was 12, or actually, when I was in my teens, or when I was 44, all of us have got a story that we don't understand. Yeah. Every single one of us. I think when you work that out, you found your tribe. Yeah. Because you're like, well, I can talk to these people, and they're not, don't think that I am a complete and utter crack, but, yeah, you know. It is about finding your tribe, though. I mean, I say this to my children, if they have trouble at school, you know, I yeah. haven't got anyone to hang around with, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you haven't found your tribe yet, and you, you don't That's tend to. Well, unless you're very lucky, you don't tend to until you're older. No, um, you don't. No, you don't. And I've said the same to my children. And I've said to him, what you've got to understand is you are a little bit different. You pick up on things and it's probably always going to be like that for you. But I, I'll tell you what I said to my Erica. Erica, when they're all pushing prams at 17, sweetheart, and you're not, you will understand that it was okay not to be one of the popular kids at school. Yes. You know, <laughs> and I kind of nipped it like that for her. She has a fantastic life now. She's yeah. really settled into her abilities. She doesn't question anything. She yeah. just... She did see something when she was five, though, and I did a really bad thing. And yeah. I sat down and apologised to her about it. But she saw um, a wolf out of a bedroom window, and she said it was upright, it was walking on two legs, and it absolutely terrified me. And I said, no, you've not, no, you've not, it's just a dream. It was just a dream, and I refused yeah. to speak to her about it. And she'd mention him every now and again, and I'd do the same thing. And then, obviously, when I thought, this kid's seeing things, she's got the same life as me, you know. And it yeah. was at the time when my dad was passing and that was, there was a really poignant moment within that, that my dad somehow, and I cannot explain this to anybody, could see through that wall in that hospice. He told me about a man that was on the other side of that wall. He described his pyjamas. Now we're talking, we're not talking hospital where they get up and go for a walk. It's end of life care. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's like high amounts of morphine. You know, my dad only had a couple of days left. And he said to me, Debbie, please go in there and see to that man. And I said, what, what man? And he said, he looks like Sammy Davis Jr. He's got black and purple pyjamas on, striped pyjamas on. And he sat on the end of the bed and he looked so sad. And just to humour him, really, Michaela, I just said, right, all right, I'll go and do it. So I just stood in corridor. I thought, I'll just stand in, I'll go back in and say, very And the nurse opened the door and walked out and there was a little old man on the end of the bed, looked like Sammy Davis Jr. in the exact pyjamas. Oh, my God. I've got goosebumps there. Exactly. And I walked, I, I walked, come home that day and I was thinking, how, how, how did my dad know? How did, maybe he's been like me for all his life. And I think he hid it. He had the same sleep terrors. He there were certain parts of work he couldn't go in. Um, he'd see dead people, as he called them, and he, he was really ashamed of it. He was born in 1946, and he was yeah. absolutely ashamed of his abilities. And at the end, he kind of said to me, don't you run away anymore. Stop running. Stop running from it, because I run from it my entire life. And it was life-changing for me, Michael. It was only three years ago, and I thought, right, he's right, isn't it? He's right. How many more people are there out there like my poor bloody dad who couldn't say to his mates at the pub, oh, I had an awful experience last night? Or, yeah. you know, you can't, can you? You can't go to book club and say, you know, there was green men at the end of my bed and I'm absolutely terrified. The things that people have to see and witness are yeah. awful. Um, Pat, I, I was interviewing. Go on, sorry. sorry. sorry I didn't mean no, I was just going to say what I, I can't. Um, understand how I mean I wasn't scared by my encounter I think I'm just very lucky you were very scared by yours yeah but people who see very very strange cryptids I don't know how they managed to get over that because your brain just wouldn't be able to process it you're like I can't have seen you know a half man half yeah everything you think was it a sorry for them you have we all ask ourselves the same questions I think um, but it's acceptable to see a UFO. It's acceptable to see a ghost. But believing that somebody's seen an eight-foot eight-man or a, a werewolf or do- a dogman or something like that, it's absolutely ridiculous to most people, yeah. which makes it even harder for them, in all honesty. The honest answer to that, and I I'm always say to them, the on- most honest answer I can give you is you do not have a choice. You have got to get up tomorrow and you've yeah. got to go to work. So, like we said in the beginning, they'll try and bury it as best they can um, and run from it for us. But it always finds you in the end. It really does. There's got to be a time in your life where you've got some sit down and say, I can't explain it away anymore. It wasn't an hallucination. It's okay to say, I don't know what it was. I was confronted with it and I know how I reacted to it, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Yeah. Like you, when you were a child, you call them the zombies because that's what you, your brain said, that's what they are. That's the only thing that we can put them together yeah. with. Yeah. I think that's why people say werewolf because it's upright, it's tall, it's got a snout, it's got ears on top of its head. It's a werewolf like out of I'm a House of Horror. The minute you say that, people go, oh, oh I'm not listening to this. How can you see a bloody werewolf? I spoke to police officers that have seen them, army personnel. I've spoken to people in really high up jobs that have seen them and experienced them. I seen, spoke to one woman who was so high up as a civil servant, I don't think you could get any more higher. And she saw what she described as a reptilian. 
She said it was an ordinary man and he morphed into a reptilian and he was clearly feeding off her thoughts. And she said, I don't know how I got myself out of there. I don't know how I drove away, but I did. Well, she yeah. still had to go back to work the next day. So it's that that interests me. I know a lot of people are interested in the actual story and stuff like that. I think, how do they do it? How do they get up the next day, see to the children, you know, go to work, do all of that normal stuff, knowing that you might, he might be around that next corner. You and know, the, the whole foundation of your life that you've believed yes. up until that moment has been swept it's away. Gone. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely it's gone. Trauma. I remember sitting in my bedroom and thinking, either my mum and dad have lied to me, and there are monsters out there, and parents just tell you there aren't, and you might be lucky and not see one, or even worse, they have no idea that I these think that's things. More scary. Yeah, it was the balance of those two. My dad was a big man. He, he worked on the docks. He was a coal man. He was a brickier. He was a big man. And this thing made my dad look like a little weed. Like he could have just flicked my dad. And I, I never, I didn't tell you in the beginning. Years later, I found out through uh, an American cryptozoologist that he'd been contacted by a lady from my town who gave him this report about knowing about this young girl who'd seen it in the 80s and everybody had ridiculed him and she wasn't prepared to come forward and help. Two years after me, she saw exactly the same bloody thing in the park, in the same space. She was walking the dog and she saw all of him. And she said he was completely hair covered and he was clearly male because you could see his yeah. male appendage. And she said he, it just stared at her. He didn't do anything. It just stood there staring at her. And she went home and she told her husband and her husband said, don't tell anyone a lot, you're up in Presswich. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so for me, I was like, when I found her, I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God I'm not crackers. Somebody, Somebody else has seen it. That, yeah. Well, I think I'm up oh. to seven witnesses now in Salford. Old fella came forward. He'd seen what he described as a, a human chimp next to the stream in the 1950s. Uh, oh. Ice cream man saw a hairy little man chasing a fox in the 1970s so then you've got me and the old lady in the 80s 2005 you've got a lady who suffers anaphylactic shock and as the ambulance is coming her friend said this gray which i think is really significant because we've gone from 82 to 2005 this gray hairy creature yeah. stuck its head out of the bush and growled at her um then we've got tony 2012 Sorry, twice on the bike run. Um, next one's 2015. We have the lady who owns the pram shop. <laughs> bought her husband some, this is true, bought her husband some golf clubs, Father's Day. So him and his mates are down there on Ellesmere Golf Course. They knew that someone was following them in the bushes and they presumed it was somebody coming to nick the gear or nick the phones or something. So they're four big lads. So they went to walk over there and he said, as we went to walk over, this thing just came out of the bushes. And it was flailing its arms and it was making this racket. It was completely hair covered. And he kept clapping at them as if it wanted them to go away. Yeah. And he said, we just didn't know what to do. We were just frozen there. And it was gesticulating with its hands. And they heard a loud scream that came from the left. So obviously you look to the left and when you look back, it's gone. Wow. So was the two of them, one worked to be scratching for the other one to get away. Oh, I don't know. I really, maybe it could throw yeah. it. I don't know. I really don't. Because I've heard a and, lot about um, people, um, like you said, being kind of um, deflected by the creatures. 
Yes. Do they, do they know that it's going to be dangerous for us to go near them? Like, I don't know, would we go through the portal and get taken away from where we are or would we get harmed? But it's almost like they they don't have any control away. over yeah. it. Like, it's not them that's going to hurt you. It's something that's going to hurt you. It's like, don't come over yeah. here because it's going to be dangerous for you. And it's not me that's going to eat you up, but something's going to happen to you. But very possibly and, and could they be could they be guarding something coming through we have to look at that possibility because we see them in the graveyards and things like that we automatically put this negative connotation to it but what if they're guardians in some way they're yeah. actually keeping that portal we don't i mean we honestly don't know it like i say it's all theory but to me nothing's ever just negative or just positive there's a mix of both and everything isn't there and I just wonder if, like the Sinocephalies in the, you know, back in the day, St. Christopher, they were wolf-headed men and they would fight at night to save humanity about against negative uh, entities. But they, were, they had a, he a head like a wolf, but the body of a man. Um, the Ben and Dante were the same. They were a bit later on, a couple of centuries later, but they were the same. They fought a war for good and evil for humanity. So I just think because we... We don't understand it. There's that natural human. We don't know what it is, so we need to be scared of it. Yeah. But I realise when, if I speak to an American, they want to know my juiciest, scariest, it ripped his head off and it doesn't happen like that. Nine yeah. times out of ten, it will walk off into the woods away from you. Or yeah. there will be that distraction technique. They will throw things at you. They'll make a bracket. They'll make a bluff charge like a a chimp would do. It could be that they just want us out of the area because it's their area and we've stumbled in and we've, we've got in the way. But it could possibly be, do not come any further. I've got young. Because I'd fight to the death for mine and so would you. Yeah. So if it's a female, it could be, because they're very rare reports of females, very, very rare. I think there's only three that I can think of in the UK where they've mentioned yeah. actual visible breasts. Um, and two of the people that witnessed them were actually women. And you can take that to the bank. When a woman tells you she clearly had had children, then you yeah. know what she means. So, yeah, uh, female ones. And they were just running away. They weren't coming at anyone. They weren't trying to capture anyone. They were just running away as if we just bumped into them. In They were like me. I've just stumbled into a situation and it's happened. Um, and he's probably just stumbled into the same situation. We were 15-year-old girls giggling. Maybe he was curious. Yeah. You know, maybe he was interested in the sound. Um, I just honestly don't know. And I probably always have the questions right to the end. I would imagine I'll always have the questions. Yeah. But I'm okay now with not knowing the answer. Yeah. I wasn't okay with it 20 years ago. But now I think maybe we won't find out in my time. But I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm all right with that. I, yeah, I, I'm I feel the same. In fact, one of my um, favourite um, experiences that you've reported from somebody else um, was um, the one about the lady who constantly saw the wolf man and she ended up naming him Wolfie. Yes. Um, and it, she was terrified of it, but it never hurt her. And even mm. one time when she was scared, she called out for it to help her almost like it was a protector. Now, traditionally, when you think of werewolves, for want of a better word, um, you think of the things from films that come and tear your head yeah. off on a dark moat sort of thing. 
Um, yeah. But the stories that I've actually heard reported from people, they haven't been violent and indeed maybe even have some sort of um, capacity to protect people. I, I just really, yes. really connected with that story. Some form almost a bond in a way. I mean, I know she has a wolfie, as she calls him. She's very erudite when you see so She's a very erudite and educated lady. Um, and she's probably late 20s now. She works with animals. She's a dog rescuer. And she said, if anybody's interested in the story, um, it's actually, I've just put it out on its own because I did it in a compilation and I think yeah. we missed some of the points. So I've put it out and it's gone out on its own because I really want people to have a listen to it. He came at times where she was at a lowest like when her father was passing away. Oh, when I, you know, when she was really ill and, and things yeah. like that. And he seemed to be there almost in a strength. And she was actually had a neighbor that, um, I can't go into detail because it's her story, but she had a neighbor who kind of was obsessed with her, but in the absolute worst way possible. And he was yeah. clearly violent. Um, and she said, I had to walk past his house to go and see some of my horses. So I was absolutely terrified. And she said, I'd think about Wolfie and I'd feel a bit stronger as I walk past, you know, I'd feel like I'd be okay. And she said there was one dog, she's rescued so many dogs, but there was one dog that she said, I suddenly realised that I was this tiny little woman and he was this huge dog and we were in the middle of a farm track and it was late at night and I was scared and he was picking up on my fear and that could have gone really badly for me. And she said a massive growl, just this huge came out of the bushes and it was aimed at the dog yeah. and it was almost as if they don't you dare you know like yeah. her the strangest thing for me was when she raised it with the parents there was no shock there was oh yeah we know what you're talking about we've seen it a number of times yeah they're not far from the place where the ancient stories of the scottish wolves. so these were these wolf-headed men that lived in the woods if you were starving or hungry they'd leave a fish on your doorstep uh, they'd heal children. All that they would ask for is that you just left them alone and let them live in that part of the wood. And I just think, I wonder if, I wonder if they are still out there. And yeah. and she, you know, you know and she... there's a connection though, isn't there, between her? Is it no coincidence that this creature is half wolf, half man, and yet and she rescues a... dogs for a living? So is, is it, it is it the chicken or the egg? Is it that? she's been drawn to dogs because of this entity or is it that he's been kind of drawn to her because of her affinity with the dogs it very well possibly could be i normally say to people so what is it then is it crystals is it ley lines or is it animals are you a dog rescuer and nine times out of ten they were, oh well all, i'm not a dog rescuer but i love animals i have a lot of animals coming this put some people where i have to say to them you're like a hospice for animals so animals will always pass away in your arms but you'll be sent them because you're the type of person that can deal with that and I think the answer to that is yes I think she's so clued into dog behavior that she's been able to pick up or sense something maybe he's had an interest in her because of it I'll give you another story that's very similar but the lady feels completely different she lives in Devon, right on the coast. So she, there's not much lights out there. There's the beach, there's rocket, and then it's just, it's a dune valley in Exmoor, isn't it? Only um, in January of this year, she's had a row with a hubby. 
And she said, it's only about half past 10 at night, but it was dark. Um, she said, and I bought a storm out of the house in temper. She said, and my dog has real anxiety about being left behind to the point that she will damage herself really to get to me. She said, and as I walked out the gate, the dog completely stopped. He wouldn't come with me. She said, and I just thought, oh, you can F off and all. <laughs> <laughs> and I storm up this lane and it's temper that's carrying me. She said, and I suddenly realised I've walked into something and I hear this series of clicks on the embankment up above. And they are answered by a series of clicks on the embankment below. She said, and I knew instantly, I don't know what they were, but they were herding sheep down that hill. And I had stumbled into that. And it terrified, completely terrified. And that's understandable. And she said to me, Debbie, will they come to the house? And I said, no, they won't come to the house. You've just stumbled into something. Yeah. You know, you, you've not done it on purpose. They've not come for you or anything like that. I said, but I understand the fear. I understand the fear a great deal. So looks at me early reports and I've got three or four other canine dogman reports always in spring. Different years, but always in January, February. Is it a pace, place that they're passing through? I don't know. It's ancient land down there on Exmoor. Really, really is. Yeah. But it terrified us so much. And when I was talking about a woman who's wild camped, looking for the beast of Dartmoor and all of that at night yeah. on her own, no fear, can't walk the dog. So she has gone from this beautiful house and moved back into the town. And she only messaged me about three weeks ago and said, Debbie, I can't, I'm done. We've moved. We've sold up and we've moved. And I hate being in the town, but I feel like I can sleep at night. Yeah. And she was just terrified. She said I locked every room up in the house and I was terrified that it was going to come through. So you've got like two witnesses who, who've had similar experience, but one's seen it in an almost benevolent way yeah. and the other one's been absolutely terrified. Both really good with dogs. And I'm thinking, has she been able to pick up on the energy? Yeah. Like you, some people just gel with a dog, don't we, straight away. Yeah. My husband's can't go anywhere without my husband petting somebody else's dog. And I think it might be that. I think for both of them, it's been that. It's that ability for a that animal. I mean, dogs know whether you're a nice person or not, don't they? Yeah. They pick up on your intent. And I wonder if it was that because they both, one's been absolutely terrified and one's been, oh, he's my saviour. He's actually helped me kind of thing. May I try as I might to get the two of them together, it'll probably never happen. Yeah. Because the, you know, the last room Exmo is probably not gonna want to speak about it again. It's done. I've moved. It's all yeah. I've got. I just want to move on with the rest of my life where the young lass wants to know everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. Well, I've got I've got a question to end with, although it might be quite a long question. Um so when through listening to your podcasts and reading about your work and things like that it's become apparent and I think you've said it quite a few times that you almost feel like you've been guided towards doing this that it's almost like a calling what what do you think your purpose is throughout all of this stuff that you found out what what do you think you're heading towards or do you not know um I don't think I could say. I don't think I could say it in a sentence. Um, I, I hope that what I can do is get my aim, I would say at the end, is to get as many genres together in one place all talking. So regardless of what you've witnessed, 
you, you still need to be talking to other witnesses because I've never spoken to anybody. You said earlier that people think, oh, nobody's had that many experiences. Yeah. You can speak to somebody who's seen a cryptid and I'll say to them, has anything else ever happened? And they'll say, oh, when I was seven, I saw a UFO. Or um, you'll speak to a paranormal witness who's had an experience with something completely different. Yeah. And I, I realised that we shouldn't be splitting them into genres. Mm. We should be mixing them all in a big melting pot because we really don't know what we're dealing with. And I think that my other skill is I don't care what people say about me anymore. My skin is so thick that I would like to just kick down all those doors that were closed for me when I came forward. I wasn't educated enough. I was the wrong sex. My, um, I, I didn't, I was a working class last. And, you know, if you've got to be in the cryptozoology world, you need to be an academic. All of those ridiculous things that people put on you. I think my biggest aim, my number one aim is just for people to actually say, actually, I'm not crackers. I know 120 other people who feel exactly the same way as I do, you know? Yeah. And it's okay to come forward in hiding. That's my biggest one. People think that when they come forward, they've got to tell us the name, where they live, we're going to film them, we're going to put them on cellar. If you're not at that stage where you don't want to do that, it's okay to email me and we'll just have a private conversation. It'll yeah. never go onto YouTube, you know. If I can help you, I'm sure I can find somebody that can. Yeah. You know, I've got so many people around me that I'm sure I can put you in touch with somebody who will say, it was just like that for me. Yeah. You know, so I think that, Michaela, at the end of it, just this knowledge that it's okay to say, you can't tell me what I saw in your armchair. You either stood with me that day and seen it, or you don't get an opinion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I think I think society's obsessed with ticking boxes. And if, That's the if, if it doesn't fit in that box, like like with the, the when you were saying uh, reporting the UFOs, if it's not the right mm. UFO, you can't tick the box. So we're not interested. Exactly. You know, if you've seen a cryptid, you can't be interested in UFOs. If you've seen yes. a ghost, you can't be interested in Pigman. You're just you being know, greedy. Yeah, you're yeah. just being greedy now in your phenomena. Yeah. But it, yeah, but it happens all over society, doesn't it? I mean, um, before I was a teacher, I was an actress, and um, I'd love to go back to it one day when the boys are older, but it just wasn't practical for a while. I was, you know, bringing them now up. The and, um, even then, you know, at the time when I was an actress, you couldn't apply for a passport and say that your career was an actress. There wasn't a box. So yep, that's going, the one. what box am I meant to tick? He hasn't got the box that I'm in. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and I just find society really bizarre like that. You know, you've I've, I've applied for things to do with banks and you name it, you know, job applications. Yeah. And you go, but there isn't, a, even the, the blooming doctors form, these e-consult forms that we have to fill yeah. in at the moment. You know, it says, I wanted to... Um, to, to get my son looked at for something. And I think it had something like 25 boxes on the children's e-consult form. And not, nothing to do with anything I wanted to ask about. So I ended up being taken down this route on ear infections when I wanted something to do with his toenails. You know, you're it, like, yeah. if it doesn't fit yeah. in the box, it doesn't compute. And it drives me mad about society in all aspects and to do with the paranormal. I, I've spent five years 
arguing back and forth with the tax man <laughs> that what I do is my job. But they don't have a box for podcaster <laughs> or YouTuber. They cannot understand what I do. So trying to make them understand about royalties and things like that has been an abject five years battle. And I only settled it in May of this year. That's yeah. how long. And what oh. I've had to do is month in, month out, I've had to show them what I earn and what I pay out. Complete everybody all across the UK does that. Well, because I don't tick up, I can't, they can't, there's no podcaster box. Yeah. There's no YouTuber box, you know, and it drives me absolutely crackers. And it's also what me and you do is the one job where you're not, people moan if you get paid for it. <laughs> I've had people say to me, well, you made a podcast and you made money off adverts. And I think, well, I might have put 10 hours into that podcast. Yeah. You know, but if it was if it was laying a brick wall, you wouldn't complain if I asked you for money. Oh, I tell you, it's a minefield. Material. I know. Well, <laughs> I have to say, I mean, I, I think I'm in quite a fortunate position in at the moment because my podcast is so tiny that I don't have to worry about anything like that at the moment. Yeah. It's just my hobby at the moment. But, um, but if I got into a situation where I was doing Patreon and things like that, um, I would I would be a bit worried about it because I, I would almost feel, and I think this is just a guilt thing, yeah. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing what I enjoy. I don't be getting paid. Yes, all of that. <laughs> yeah, all of that. I struggled with it, struggled with it a lot. And it was only... I don't know, I just used to say, oh, no, I always had this feeling that if I made any money from it, I'd lose it, I'd lose all of it. You know, I, I, I was a fraud in some way. We all have that inner saboteur, yeah. don't we? You know, and then you sit down and you think, well, if you're putting so many hours into something and you're writing the books and you're doing radio shows and you're doing this, I'm not actually working. I'm not earning a living. So I've somehow yeah. I've got to balance this. So yeah. you only ever make a peanut. You never, as long as you, because you've got to pay for like your domains and stuff. So when you're podcasting and you go onto a bigger site and you pay site fees yeah. to be on that site. So you, you re, I'm really, really happy if I make enough to cover that site fee. As long as I'm even at the end of the day, I think, well, that's me. happy Because I get paid in other ways. You know, every single month I meet new people from across the UK. Saturday, I'll be at the reservoir in Harrogate. We'll have a broom, we'll have a cup of tea, we'll all have a natter. That's yeah. how I get paid. And then I'll, I'll take the next week off because I'll be absolutely knackered. <laughs> and then it's to start again with it. Yeah? And then we're at Sherwood Forest and then we're off to Bowling. And then that'll be it. We'll close up for Christmas. Yeah. Um, and I also think about the, the your listeners because your listeners are tuning in week out, week in, aren't they? And you think, yeah. I want to put something out for them. Uh, you know, you, I know that on those live feeds, some of those people are chatting with each other for the first time in a week. They've not spoken to anyone, in, especially over COVID. You know, people have yeah. been so lonely. So I pay to put the live feeds out. We don't make any money off them. But you do see people talking to each other and arranging to meet up or they're going for a coffee somewhere or they're swapping books. Oh, try this book. I'll try yeah. that. But you see the interaction, and you think, "Oh, I don't care if I never make a penny. I'll always be skimpy, you know. Always, I'll always be skimpy. But I'm rich in other ways." Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Well, this is just—I mean, since I've started doing the podcast, which has only been about um, six months or something, it's just been the best thing I've ever done. Mm. It's just made me feel so happy. I've got a purpose. I mean, don't yes. get me wrong, I like teaching, 
Um, and I enjoy certain aspects of it. A lot of it is admin, which was what I always swore I'd never do. I always said, ever from when I was a kid, you will never get me working in an office. I can't bear admin. And 90% of what I do now is admin. <laughs> um, no, I, and I love working with the children, but it's not my it's not mine. Whereas this, no, you need you need the Michaela thing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's my Debbie thing. That's what I say to people. I'm a mum, a grandmum, I've got elderly parent, I've got elderly in-laws, I'm all of those things. I'm somebody's wife. So I'm always fulfilling a role. But there are certain points in the day where I just want to be Deborah. Yeah. And I just want to talk about Deborah things and I do things that I enjoy. So I don't see what I do as work, in all honesty. The, the paperwork side of it is work, but all that good stuff's just like meeting my friends. And I mean, yeah. I'm going to suggest some people for your podcast for you because there's a number of lassies that I know from Yorkshire that have all got paranormal experiences and yeah. could talk for probably two hours to you about them. But they want their stories out there. They, they're similar to me and you, they've reached that age where they're like, no, I'm done. I'm not apologising anymore. Weird stuff happens around me. And I'm now I'm ready to talk about it. You know, so I'll get them chatting with you and then I'm sure your listeners will love it and we'll just go from there. That'll be fantastic. Right, well, I'm going to um, let you go now on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to say thank you so much for being on. It's been brilliant. And You're I really... Welcome want to have you back because I've still got about 15 questions that I didn't get around to asking you so I can happily come, I can happily come back and if any of the listeners have got questions just pop them over to Michaela and I will do my best to answer them but yeah I'm more than happy to come back that's absolutely brilliant and so where can where can people report their sightings to tell us where where to contact you I've made it that easy that if you just put Deborah Hatswell into google i will pop up and my email is just my name in all lowercase letters just debbie hatswell at gmail.com um I, but i can pop some links over to michaela and if you want to pop them in the description and then they'd be able to find me yeah we could do that okay. yeah that's, that's not a problem well thank you so much for being on and i hope to speak to you again soon take care bye. thanks a lot bye bye, bye. see you later bye Well, that was a super interesting episode there with Deborah. I really enjoyed it and I hope she'll come back on again in the future. So that's just about it for tonight's episode. If you have any paranormal stories to share, please email them to me at paranormalorwhatpodcast at outlook.com. Alternatively, send me your story via anchor.fm forward slash paranormalorwhatpodcast forward slash message you can now listen to the podcast on the following podcast platforms apple podcasts podbean spotify outcast google podcasts breaker castbox pocketcasts and radio public don't forget to rate and review the podcast for me i'm really trying to grow the listenership please give it five stars if you like it. I really depend on those five-star ratings. So, without further ado, I should go off to my beddy buys. I look forward to snuggling down with you 
next week with a bit of a fiery drink, a comfy chair and a lot of spooky stories. Now, remember, together we can figure it out. See you next time. Night. Night.